1: We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey.
0: Hi, guys. Welcome back to the show. It's so great to have you here. We are excited for today's show because we are talking to Mike Jones, one of the writers of Pixar's new movie, Soul, uh, which comes
1: to Disney Plus on Christmas Day. So Mike has- Mike's been a writer and story consultant to Pixar Animation Studios since t- June of 2013 and joined the studio full-time in March of 2017. He has served on the brain trust of many Pixar films, including Finding Dory, Incredibles 2, and the Academy Award-winning features Inside Out, Coco, and Toy Story 2. And he also serves on the story trusts of many Spark Shorts, as well as features in early, early development. I'm learning how to talk through this. This is good. <laughs> Uh, he's a, As a
0: senior story and creative artist, Jones works with the director to develop a story in its early stages. Together, they explore the characters and character arcs, with Mike writing various script drafts until it's cohesive. At, after early development, Mike continues to work with the production departments on the different versions of the reels by rewriting every sequence as needed, consulting on storyboards, and advising on editorial assembly.
1: Before joining Pixar, Mike was a working screenwriter for 20 years, writing scripts for nearly every major Hollywood studio. Prior to screenwriting, he served on the editorial staffs of Filmmaker Magazine, IndieWire, and Variety. He grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and attended NYU Film
2: School.
0: Mike, it is so exciting to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. Yes, oh, welcome. Thank
2: you. For, thank you for having me. It's such a treat to be here. I listen to you every week. I feel like Uh I know you, I feel like I was just telling Lorian, like, I think the last time you and I spoke Lorian was like, what was it? Maybe like six years ago. Yeah. I left in 2014. Yeah. Right. Something like that. But I feel like, like our relationship has been rebuilt just by me listening to you, but it's only been one way. (laughs) So.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm super excited to reignite the spark two ways,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah, Two ways. So yeah. Mike has his game. He's been in game for our first section of our podcast, Adventures in Screenwriting, aka our week. Um, Mike, do you want to go first? Or do you want us oh, to my dive week. in? How was your week? Like, I'll give you, i I'll go first. Oh, go ahead. You go first. Go for go it.
2: Go okay. It. I'll, well, I, just because I feel like I'm still writing this high, that I, that it, I am working with, um, without giving too much away about the next project, I'm working with a bunch of writers. And... It is to work with writers um, who just are there to kind of yes and and plus stuff uh, to like give back and to help build something has been so wonderful. Cause you know, I mean, we've all been home for a little while. I thought for a while that I would go back to that place where I'm just in my little silo, I'm just at my desk. I no longer have like the Pixar um, energy around. You're no longer making those accidental meetings in the hallways. You don't have the story artists to like joke around with. It's just you. I thought like, well, I guess I'm going back to that screenwriting, you know? And then I started to work on Zoom on these projects and also I hate Zoom. But then these writers come on and it was, it's just been so much fun. It's only been two weeks. So we still have a lot of work to do, but it's been so great. It's been so great. So my week has been great. But um, before that it was, it was hellish, but we won't talk about that. (laughs)
0: Like, any is there any piece of the hell you can talk about? Because people like to know they're not alone out there in the any anything about writing specifically or that you could share?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I took a job, uh, I went on a leave of absence and I took a quick job. And um, I just thought, like, oh, I'll just do it. Like, I'll just sit down and I'll just write. You know, that's be fine, you know. I it doesn't maybe I'll just give this like half of my brain to do like and I don't know why I thought that like but I have to say I'm not
0: sure what you were thinking (laughs) No,
2: it's like I I guess I maybe I might have categorized this idea as like it's the wrong way to talk about it but like it's not Pixar right Pixar just really requires everything from you and this idea was going well this idea maybe I don't need to give it everything
0: It'll just be fun, right? Like you'll just think, "Oh, it'll be fun," and I'll just write it, and it'll be easy, and
2: yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'll just, you know, I'll just toss it off, and that is so far from the case. Like (laughs) it, 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 I I have to get, and I, and I maybe I forgot this about myself, but I feel like if in order for me to write it, I have to, I have to be in it, you know. Mm -hmm. I have to get in it because otherwise, I'll just like, can we curse? Yes. I just fuck around all day is what happens. Like, I'll just like, (laughs) whatever, you know? And so um, to get myself back into it um, after being so into it for so long at Pixar uh, and looking for like a little break, it was just hard, you know? And I think for every writer to just think you can sit down and just start writing it's never that easy for me. I don't know if it's that easy for, for anybody else, but it's never that easy for me. There's always a, there's always a lot of lead-up I need to, I need to get into before I can start typing. What's
1: your, what's your lead-up like? What does that look like? (laughs) (laughs)
2: lot. funny enough, it's a lot of doubt, Maureen. It's a lot (laughs) of just plowing through doubt I' literally I'm not haven't. familiar
1: I'm not familiar with this so this is enlightening you,
2: look, well, I did Mike see... our,
0: our one of our topics today was going to be doubt so here we go yeah. <laughs> and, and like I
2: didn't write this for this topic but this is what I have this is an index card that says push through your doubt <laughs> do you oh, see it I'm showing it to them on the zoom because like <laughs> I need to remind myself to be able to push through it and or find a way through it I wish I had a better answer on how to push through doubt but um.
1: I'm so curious for you. How does that manifest? Like, what does the doubt look like? Or do you run away from your desk? Are you washing dishes? Are you taking a walk? Like, how do you process? I think it's
2: just procrastination. You know, like, I gotta want to sit here. I, I find I don't sit here and go like, wow, I'm feeling really doubtful. I will instead try to think I'm doing something more or useful by going onto um the new york times website and you know what i mean like <laughs> like yeah I, like the state I, of the world
0: needs my attention right now right,
2: yes. right. I, yeah right i usually don't want to face the idea that i am really avoiding writing so i will try to cover it by saying like you know the dishes really need to be cleaned right now mm-hmm. i mean not right now or in this floor needs to be swept and that kind of stuff so i feel like i cover it with a lot of procrastination but eventually like I'll eventually I'll get there, you
0: know. Uh, eventually, it's more painful not to do it. I find you just have to like the, mm-hmm. it's just building and building and
1: building, and then you yeah, just yeah. Because if you get to the end of the day and all you've done is that, and then you just feel so lost and sad mm-hmm. and empty and yeah. like, what I even do today, right? Yeah. right. Lorraine, how was your week? Uh, my week was okay. I got um, I got some notes on that the script I've been working on, and uh, you know I had my usual like, oh my god. I hate these notes. These are I was the say, you're
0: like, oh, I just it's okay. I just got some notes, and I'm like, um, should I bring up the text that I got about the notes?
1: And of course, I lost my mind. Right? I fell into a rage. I couldn't even like sit down and focus on the notes, and I kept and then I kept going back and reading them and getting more mad. And and then of course, a couple of days later, I was like, fuck, these are good. God damn it! It's making me focus on something that hasn't been working and gave Mm -hmm. me by reacting in so much rage and fear and panic to the notes it made me actually dig into what was working a little bit and face what I have been avoiding Mm -hmm. and work on the ending which of course ripples all the way back through and so um you know it I go through this every single time it's just so frustrating that even when I'm in it you know I, I even have that moment of like that I'm a fantastic auteur, you know, like a friend, I was complaining to a friend and she's like, no, no, you're not right. Like, listen to the note. Like, she's like, you're spitting out that I'm a genius. Nobody sees my vision, right? Like I actually got there. I don't think I've ever been there before. I don't like it. It wasn't a good feeling to think that I was smarter than anyone else. Cause I'm not right. And so it, that was the, that was the week I had. And In your defense though.
0: You are writing a show that is very much your voice, hmm. and so it's it's much harder to get notes when the show is so specific and so uh, uh, of a unique voice that you worry that did the notes not understand the voice, right? Or if I do it, will they will it eliminate that voice? And so I do think there was some very common and understandable wrangling of your voice versus the notes, and in making something clear in terms of a story, do you lower or lose the voice? And I think that once the show finds its voice and it's really strong and people get it, right? Then everybody's feeding into that voice and the notes start trying to make that voice stronger, but you're at the beginning. So that voice is still solidifying and people have to understand it. Like I'm sure some of these shows when they first came out, Breaking Bad or whatever, I'm sure they got like a lot of notes where you're like, no, you don't get it. You don't get the show, right? Yeah. Um, so I do think that's fair. I do think you are a genius, so too, I'm sorry. But, so
1: sorry. there, there is definitely a piece of that, but sort of then that forced me to really look at where am I falling down on that job? Where is my voice not actually working? Where is somebody not getting it and why? So, you know, it's just really challenging because I have to keep going back into it. Like it's not done, which I just want it to be done, right? Yeah, and yeah. I know it's so far away, but so that was my week. And it's my kid's last, she's not in school anymore. So, you know, now every time I step foot in the house, it's like, mama. I'm like, no, no, yeah. no. I'm just going to the bathroom. I don't want to talk. <laughs> like, I just have to get some water. You know, like it's so that is, yeah. that's fun. Yeah. Uh, two more yeah. weeks of that. Woo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: am. Um, it's funny. We all got notes this week. Maybe it's because everybody's getting their notes in before the holidays. But um, I got two different sets of notes. Well, number one, just to let everybody know, because I did put this on the Facebook page, as my commitment. I did finish my barf draft and get it to my director.
1: Yay! I'm not Good. calling it a
0: barf draft because it was more of what we're calling now officially the lumpy lump. I, so <laughs> that's what the director calls it. That's what we're calling it. It's the, the lumpy lump. lump. I like lumpy that lumpy lump it's the new technical the screenwriting technical life term. Term. <laughs> but it's not a barf draft because we did so many you know outlines and treatments that I have to deal with I can't not put them mm-hmm. in I can't just go by and barf out whatever I want so it's more mm-hmm. the lumpy lump stage which makes my brain feel better that I understand what the stage mm-hmm. is um and my notes for my director I just I just love him so much I wish he would do a maybe I'll make him come on here and, and talk to directors because this is was his notes back to me The first sentence was, everything I love. Number one, Mm -hmm. love in all capital letters,
1: this. Number
0: two, love in all capital letters, this. And there were 15 giant full cap loves on the page. That's great, that's so important isn't that amazing and my whole brain just relaxed and opened and I was like Mm. oh you do love something I'm it's not just a piece of shit and Mm -hmm. I didn't just totally fail because you love this and you love that and and I I intellectually know half that shit's gonna go because it's Mm. gonna get reversion but it doesn't matter it just and it also helps me know what he likes right so that I can
1: write towards that do you think it's also you know he really read it Right, like he didn't he wasn't just looking for what was broken right he really was to say
0: he read it to see this is what i love go towards this move towards this this is working and Mm -hmm. then he wrote and here's stuff it's such a beautiful way of saying it here's some of the stuff i miss Mm -hmm. meaning stuff that we talked about in the outline that maybe i dropped or i forgot or whatever (laughs) right or i was like i don't know how to do this i'm just gonna skip it uh and so that was such a nice, I'm like, oh, he misses it. That's a positive way of thinking of it. Mm-hmm. That's like, I was like, okay, you missed that. And he was like, and here are my questions. Hmm. And I was like, this is such an, a nice way of, and now, so it's, we're very open and spitballing back and forth and it's, it's lovely and I feel very positive. Whereas before I was just in pure terror of the lumpy lump and oh, how bad is this? And, uh, and now I just feel nice. like, oh no, we're just creative <laughs> beings. Talking inside the book, you know It's like it's It's so funny, the context has totally changed versus the other set of notes I got, which literally I can't believe I'm still getting notes on this. It's like, I don't even know what draft we're in. And it was was just the strangest note. It was a note in which they started talking about the opening scene, which is fine, let's just change the opening scene if we need to, where they're like, we think the tone is off, like it doesn't, it's not the tone of the show, it's a little young. And part of me's like, well, I don't agree, but okay, in your head, I'm not saying that out loud. And then all of a sudden it veered into, well, because a lot of your characters just, they didn't say the word one note, but that was the implication in terms of, um, you know, they wanted more layering. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I just, I took it. I, I really felt insulted. Like it felt like a writing note versus mm-hmm. a story note. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just whirled into a little bit of a black hole, to be honest with you. Because I was like, first of all, I was like, well, screw this. I'm going to go do something else. If you don't like my writing, then I'm done. No, no, like, you know, <laughs> I don't say any of that. But so I called my writing partner and I was like, did you hear what they just said? I just, they just said that. And he was like, why don't we wait and get the written notes before we completely freak out. Mm-hmm. And there they were in the written notes. It literally says, <laughs> your characters can be broody. 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 And I was like, oh. I what What does that mean, broody? Yeah. I literally was like, because I, like I had a hen a that wants to like have that. eggs. I was like, Jonathan, spell it. He was like,
1: They
2: brood. But you know
0: what? Here's great. Kind of what happened with you, Lorian. And then I'll be done. I literally had to sit with that. And I was like, you know what? I do like broody characters. I do. (laughs) I like brooding fucking characters. Uh I do. And I like, like, I went back and looked at all the stuff I've written, like all the spec pilots I've written. Like there's a girl locked in a box under somebody's bed. She's pretty broody. She's pretty broody. I like, and I like female anger, broody characters. I do. (laughs) Right. So I was like, oh, well, if I can just accept that, that I do like that. And maybe they don't like it as much as I'm doing it. Maybe I have something to learn about my broody mm-hmm. characters that they just need a little, not less broody. Cause I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to back off a female's anger. Cause I don't think that's the note by the way but that's the danger of the note, right? Well, we mm. don't like girls to be angry and mean and broody. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, by the way, I don't think they're saying that.
1: But I was if like, that's okay, the case, I'm going to have to quit. Well, then I'm going to throw my desk across the room. I'm going to be really angry and broody. You want to see angry broody. All right, here we go.
0: (laughs) So that kind of opened me up to, okay, well, then I, if I can just face the note and like, think about, is that true? And the answer is, yeah, I like broody. And so maybe I have, I can elevate the broodiness. And maybe Mm -hmm. I just literally type the word anger too many times in the script. I really Mm. think that might be what it is. Whereas if I think about anger as a different or broodiness in a different way, a different shade, or whatever, right? So I thought that was that was an interesting thing for everybody to think about. Like sometimes the specific word choice might open up. Don't let's just throw your desk across the room. Really own it. Like think about mm-hmm. that, and maybe there's there is something for you to evolve, do better, or maybe you just wrote the word anger like too many times, mm-hmm. right? And it got repetitive. Um,
2: so Can that was. Make, my I- I just looked up the word "broody" in Google, and according to Google, the first um, definition of it is wishing or inclined to incubate eggs,
1: like a hen, (laughs) like a chicken, like
2: like a hen. Yeah, exactly. The second, the number two on broody is thoughtful and unhappy. So,
0: well, (laughs) there. I was (laughs) like, I both of those. I've constantly got eggs going. I am constant, and I am a little bit thoughtful and unhappy. There we go, (laughs) people.
2: I may, but maybe you want to just get a little clarity on what Rudy they were talking about, you yeah. know? Cause you might yeah. need some eggs <laughs> to figure out there.
1: Do they think um, the character's a chicken? Yeah. Oh no, I actually like the note guys. I do like the note. Yeah, I mean, but that's I the thing it. about notes, right? Is the, probably okay. the one that we're the most angry about is the one that we actually have to sort of Go reinvestigate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's which intense. is also super infuriating, right? Like even just saying that out loud I want to throw my desk across the room. Mm-hmm. The room isn't that big, so it wouldn't go far. Hey everyone.
0: So, the new version of Final Draft, Final Draft 13, is out. And, you know, the question's going around is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy or upgrade? And our answer is
1: yes. So, I recently got notes on a pilot and I want to see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes. And usually, what I do is, you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes, but mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly. But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0, where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script. So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or, you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful, and what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project, and I
0: want to card it, and I can now do that inside of Final Draft, and it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag-and-drop. So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters, I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool.
1: So uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com slash products to get the new version with a discount code of SCREENFD for 25% off. You should check it out.
0: That's SCREENFD, S-C-R-E-E-N-F-D.
1: All right, how about we uh, move on to the interview? All right, Mike, Uh, here we come. And these questions are from our Facebook page. Um, And so they're coming directly from listeners. And so our first question is from Susan, who asks, what was your path to Pixar? And was your interest always animation?
2: Um, well, I answered the second part, no, it wasn't um, animation. And uh, the path to Pixar was, um, i you know, Pixar was never, I felt, an option for me as a screenwriter. I just didn't, I'd, A, I didn't know how animated movies were made. I loved Pixar movies. Um, I thought maybe, uh, but, but I, I like maybe most people felt that they were going after specific animation bent writers or they were doing it kind of old school style perhaps of just uh, you know, story artists in the room kind of figuring out what the story is and they're writing it themselves, right? I had no idea. And um, it wasn't until uh, I wrote a script, I wrote an adaptation of a book called The Minotaur Takes a Cigarette Break. And it's about the Minotaur working as a short order grill cook in a steakhouse in Wichita, Kansas. And uh, I loved it because um, the book, uh, I had worked those jobs before. Like, I'd worked those low wage um, positions before. I had, like, you know, burned my hands with spilled grease. Like, I knew what it was like to, like, enjoy a cigarette by the dumpster, right? And so that sounds like a more indie movie that I used to write. But then it was the Minotaur, <laughs> and so suddenly it became uh, it 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 became something else. It became kind of this alt fantasy world that I loved, and so I wrote an adaptation of this book, and um, Pixar got a hold of it, and out of the blue, kind of called and said next time you're in the Bay area, would you come by? And we'd love to have you for lunch. And I said, I'm going to be in the Bay area tomorrow. I
1: looked. at LA. <laughs> I was and, say, how um, fast did you book a plane ticket up there? I said,
2: <laughs> yeah, I said, funny enough, I'm just going to be there in your neighborhood, funny enough Pixar. Uh, and so I, f- I drove up and I had this wonderful lunch with uh, Mary Coleman and uh, Emily Zuloff, who had both loved uh, the script. And, um, I, uh, I just said, I got to get here. I got to get here some way, you know. So uh, my first job there was not working for Pixar. Pixar was overseeing the development of a Henry Selleck movie that eventually didn't get made. But I worked with Henry Selleck for um, a good nine months, I guess. And then I uh, jumped into Pixar working on Good Dinosaur was my first job where I met um, Meg. I think Meg, and you and I started at kind of the same-ish time. I think so. Yeah, I
0: think you started a little before me because you and Matt Aldrich were buds. Oh, right. Were nice enough to take me in. Um, Now, uh, two viewers asked this question and I think it's a pretty quick answer. Um, Both Susan and Holm asked, if you want to write animation, how do you work at Pixar? People want to know how to, as a writer, how do you get to work at Pixar? Um, You know, because like in most animation houses, the ideas are coming from the directors, right? So they're not out looking for animated ideas. Um, to put into
2: movies. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the best piece of advice is not to write animation. The best piece of advice is to write character, you know, and to write drama from those characters. And to always ask yourself, are your characters creating the drama? Are your characters creating the plot? That's was the first thing Pixar was looking for. And uh, because Pixar can make anything funny, they can make anything beautiful or um, realistic, um, they have tons of be- they have tons of fantastic artists in that building, but what they're looking for from the writers, they're looking for story in particular, and that doesn't mean an animation script necessarily. I mean, you know, Mary and her department famously go to Sundance to look for writers. You know, uh, so they with um, you know with Pete. What Pete had is Pete um, said, I got a call saying, look, I've just been sitting in front of an empty screen for a while and I just need somebody to bat ideas back and forth with. And so what I found my job was with Pete was that he had a little bit of a concept but it was more of a set piece. It was more of a setting and not a movie. He wanted to set a movie beyond space and time where souls are given their personality. And I love that idea but we really needed to create the engine And that's where I felt like my training kind of came in. What kind of engine can I create between a character or two characters that will drive our story through this setting in the most unique and fun way Um, and authentic and honest way, right? And so uh, that's what we did in those first couple of months was just figure out where's the engine of the story. And we ended up quite simply with we felt the story should be a soul who doesn't want to die meets a soul that doesn't want to live. And um, through their journey together, they end up discovering what it means to live a fulfilled life. And that's what we had. And I think once Pete had that, then he started to develop. And Meg, you know this with Pete. He started to develop that kind of gut. He started to develop that thing inside of him that is going to help him communicate what this movie is then not only to himself and to keep it centered but to every other department on down the line, you know, because that's what a director has to do at Pixar. They have to communicate that gut and that idea and they have to get people excited and inspired by it. And um, I felt like that's my job here. My job is to continually through the changes of this story, keep that fire ignited inside Pete so that he um, can do his best work, right?
0: That's awesome. And it kind of speaks to the next question, I think, right?
1: Don't you think, Mm. Lorian? Yeah, we got quite a few questions about the Pixar process. A lot Mm -hmm. of people are very curious about it. Um, And Kara, she says she really appreciates the rich emotional tapestry in Pixar movies and asks, where does the story start? With theme or characters or is it something else?
2: I don't think it ever starts with theme. I could be wrong, but I don't, I don't feel, I feel like the the theme starts to emerge or, and it certainly starts to change, you know? So I don't think we ever start with a theme. I think we start with, sometimes we start with a fun situation, like, you know, the U Seminar, the place beyond space and time, uh, or, you know, Andrew Stanton famously uh, began finding Nemo um, because he felt like he was kind of being um, a helicopter parent to his son a bit too much and not giving him his freedom, um, so I think it comes from it comes from where we are, where some of these directors are personally, where they where they um, stuff the hard things they've gone through that they want to explore. I mean, Inside Out, right? Meg was inspired by um, Pete Doctor's daughter, who uh, you know her personality seemed to change, and he wondered interesting why.
0: Because in those examples, and I think it may be interesting to speak to this on soul. Like mm-hmm. it's funny because when writers use the word theme, I think they're thinking like Hallmark card theme or like you can write the theme on a piece of paper somewhere, right? Love conquers right. all or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that the directors and the writers at Pixar start with an emotional, like yeah. you talked about Pete has that emotional, mm-hmm. um, just feeling or sense or question, right? Mm-hmm. And that question starts to drive the story of course, mm-hmm. the world and the world building as well. Like you're saying he started with this, I want to go and do this world. Mm-hmm. But don't you think they also really start with that emotional question?
2: Yeah. I mean, it, with with my case with Sol, his emotional question was, where did his son's personality came, come from? So his son was born and his son automatically had a personality he felt. And it didn't come from he or his wife. It just kind of came out. And he felt like, what place created that personality in this in this boy. And um, um, we, we talked about that a lot. We, we the, the interesting thing is, while I feel like um, we might've answered that in terms of the funny gags of the movie, that the movie ended up not being about what mm-hmm. creates a, a personality. The movie ended up being about what it means to live a fulfilled life. Um, what it means to uh, to take your personality that um, these souls are given in this netherworld and use it to, for, to find their spark on earth. Um, so the, the, the initial emotional question was still always there, but yet it kind of morphed into something kind of greater and bigger. And it kind of had to, because I felt like we were running out of room there. You know, we, we, we did try to find a movie just set in the U seminar where the characters, um, you know, try to try to learn about life um, in this place. That's not earth, that's not life. And so we were always like, we're always kind of hitting our head against the wall on it until we just finally figured out, look, the way to go learn about life is to go down there, you know, is to jump in that water. And then the story started to become something else. And um, that's when you embrace it. And thankfully, like that's when Pete embraces it too. no matter if the story is going to go into like way left field, a place that he didn't you know, think at all, if he's excited about it, he'll want to go there. He's not afraid of it, which is kind of the great thing. And what you kind of needed Pixar as a director, you can't be afraid of how much change is going to happen to that story, particularly early on. You know?
0: Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, yeah. So Wendy asked about the character of Joe and how much was there when you went from outline to script. Like, how did he evolve as you wrote as a character? Were there any surprises for him as a character?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, the the biggest change obviously was Joe became a forty year old middle school um, jazz musician who is a black man and uh, an African American man who at at some point in his life like didn't get his big break. Before that, we kind of weren't thinking um, what specifically this character was. We just kind of were trying to figure out what, what is a, literally like what is an occupation where you're really wanting that big chance, you know? You're, and we thought, we immediately went to actor. So the very first versions of the, of the outline was that this was an actor who gets his big break on Broadway in a revival of Death of a Salesman. And then he dies. And we thought that was just so clever. <laughs> <laughs> but then we said, we just didn't feel it there. And Pete and I have a deep love for jazz. And we started to, kind of, we started to um, think about how much fun it would be for jazz as not only a kind of sonic indicator for, for, um, for our movie, but also kind of a spiritual like um, uh, device as well. And that's when we came upon this idea of this musician, um, this middle school band teacher who was an incredible pianist, um, who just hasn't really found it quite yet, or I should say, hasn't really found the thing that he feels is going to fulfill his life. And there's a key difference in that when you watch the movie, I don't want to give it give it away, yeah, but spoilers, no spoilers. Um, no spoilers. <laughs> so that was the that was a big change, and so uh, and that was when. Um, but that was when I felt like the story really started to get screwed in in a really kind of wonderful way because once you kind of find that character like you were saying earlier Meg like I feel like a note we always get I always got sometimes outside of Pixar that I always sometimes got (laughs) I'm a writer (laughs) that um uh the characters felt like they were speaking in the same voice sometimes like you need to dif- differentiate your characters well i'm like always struggling to differentiate my characters because i'm always struggling to find out like what's unique about them and i just can't throw personality traits on them i kind of need to fit into something that i can kind of feel because that character then has to write through my fingers and so if i'm not feeling it then i'm just throwing you um, I'm just throwing you like something kind of surface and that's not gonna go very deep. But once we figured out Joe and what Joe wanted and what Joe needed, then it started to really lock into place.
1: That's awesome, awesome. So uh, Ben asked about pitching in the room. Mm -hmm. Uh, As someone with social anxiety, he's asking this question. What if you are concerned the people in the room won't get it? Do you prepare backup material or go on charisma? Um, should Ben take improv or public speaking? What's a good way to prepare uh, for that?
2: Well, that improv is not a bad idea. I did, you know, I did theater as a kid uh, in high school. Um, that certainly helped a little bit um, in me overcoming a sense of stage fright. But, you know, one thing I, one piece of advice, I can't remember who told it to me about pitching was that um, think of it as just telling a funny dinner party story, you know? Don't think of it as like you're on a stage and you're, you're, you're trying to um, perform to an audience that's there waiting to be um, moved because then like I, I will freeze up. Um, but if I'm like sitting in a room with a bunch of people that I have maybe some kind of connection to and we start with kind of small talk and then I kind of go, you know what, let me tell you this funny story and you tell a funny story, I feel like that's the best pitch because then you're kind of almost involving people in it as well. So when I can, when I can, when I can try to get the room down to like, we're all the same here and we're trying to figure out what the best version of this movie is, or you want to hear a really good movie and I have a good movie, then I feel like the pitch starts to kind of greases the wheels a little bit if that's if that makes sense but i will say like stage fright's a big thing for me always has been and like i will pitch things and then i will um start to be a little like that self-aware switch goes on in my head and i will trip myself up you know i will like go and literally the i will trip in the pitch i'm about to pitch i'm about to pitch in an hour and a half <laughs> i'm about to pitch to pete doctor in an hour and a half and okay. um like the one thing that I, I, and, and Pete and I worked for years together. Why would I still get, um, stage fright in front of Pete doctor? Well, of course I do. You know, of course I do. So
0: you know, what Bill I, Hader, he, he has, he has anxiety too. And so he would say that when he was going on Sunday live, he would intentionally say the first line wrong
2: <laughs> because now
0: he's made the mistake. So it does. And then he would just relax.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's yeah.
0: a that's a fun way to do it too.
1: I do something that I think a lot of people do and probably a lot of women do, which is I'll pitch something and before mm-hmm. I give anyone a chance to like respond, I'll just say or maybe that's a terrible idea. Or uh-huh. here's why that's terrible or here's why that's stupid, right? <laughs> I don't even leave enough breath or space in the room for someone to actually like hear what I said and respond yeah. because I just yeah. so I'm working on not doing that yeah for sure because <laughs> you have to think it's a good idea or why are you pitching it in
0: the room sure. like in yeah. terms right. of that pitching around the table um you know it's you know and you know people always have those little phrases which sometimes they do make you not you know punch them in the face or whatever <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, yeah i think that it's that is part of the process is, is learning and i think improv yeah. improv's a great idea yeah um so we had a lot of questions about um making it personal you know matt asked you know how do you find your personal connection when it's Mm -hmm. either a pre-existing story or you're working with Pete? Um, you know, Mm -hmm. how do you find yourself in there? Uh,
2: you know, I feel like in my 40 plus years on this earth, I have enough stories and enough experience, life experience that I can find a story or find something personal that has happened to me that, um, most of the time um, that is in what we're trying to um, get across and that um, like, and I also look for it as well. Like I I feel like I'm a really nostalgic person. I I think about my upbringing a lot and I'm very close to my family. Like I really relive a lot of these um, stories that happened to me in my life. And so I'm always primed to kind of find the thing that happened to me that's similar that's happening to the character. Um, and so, if it's not, you know, the, the, if it's not, I mean, this kind of goes back to doubt in for me is that uh, I do have, when I'm not able to kind of find that plug in, then I do suddenly start to have a lot of doubt about the character that I'm writing or the situation that I'm writing. And so, I will just try to get it there. <laughs> you know, I'll try to get it into my sphere that I feel comfortable in. And, um, you know, let, there was Let me was ask this, you about that,
0: about yeah. in terms of you feeling comfortable, because another question we had from Michael was about, you know, I talk a lot about, sometimes the best writing comes from what makes you feel like you're going into lava. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's painful. It makes you feel vulnerable and that you gotta write towards that, not away from it. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. So d- did you find that at all? Did you have any kind of cathartic experience on Soul? I'm, again, no spoilers, of course. I and mean, is it something that you felt you, you, you needed to do on Soul?
2: well um, I think it's worth mentioning people what people will people maybe will will know the moment I'm talking about in Seoul but there was a there was a moment during the writing of Seoul that my father was passing away and so I would fly out of um, the Bay Area and back into Texas just to be with him every chance I could because I knew that time was short and so it, it took a little it took months right and so I would fly in I would be with him I would fly back out and I would fly back out with all of this stuff right and and um, then the last time I was with him, I sat down with him. He wasn't communicative, it was his last moments. And I held his hand, it was just me and him in the room. And um, I watched him pass away, he kind of passed away in my arms. And, uh, but during this time I'm thinking like, what is he thinking about right now? What, what is he, what are the last thoughts of, that are going through his head? Is it about his career success or lack of career success? Is it about um, all the things he wished that he did in his life or is he hopefully really loving the time that his son is with him right now and is holding his hand as he passes away? And I then kind of turned that around on myself and I said, you know, what? this career success, um, success of soul, my career at Pixar, none of that matters right now. This is the most important thing in my life right now. And I loved that moment. It was, it, it was, there was a moment like no other in, in the lava for me is watching a human being pass away that you love. And so I took that back and um, I didn't do anything with it for a while. I don't think I told anybody that my father passed away, but we were at a moment in the movie where we needed Joe to have an epiphany, that we needed Joe to, um, to finally understand what it's about <laughs> i'm kind of trying to like skirt right. the skirt the thing but um and i wrote it and i just fucking loved it and it hurt and i cried writing it and i sent it in and um i and uh it's in the movie mm-hmm. and um i uh i i kind of i'm kind of one of those weird people i think sometimes that Um, I, I kind of don't like the pain, but I do like the pain. (laughs) I think we're all, my wife says like, you are an ambulance chaser. And it's kind of true. Like I, I, I will go for that drama. And if I'm crying in it and feeling emotional in it, like it's not great. Sure. But it's, it's not the end of the world for me either, because it's kind of life, you know? And I just, I feel, I feel really alive sometimes in those really emotional moments. And so. That was definitely it, and um, you know that the the scene didn't change. I mean, the little aspects of that moment changed, but um, the scene stayed. You
0: know? Mike, thanks so much for sharing that. That was amazing. Thanks so much for um, giving that insight, and it was really very profound. Thank you so much, okay. and
1: yeah. uh, also uh, really, I mean, brave. Thank you, but really inspiring to sort of. Uh, you know t- you know because now I want to talk about me because that's what I like to do best um uh just investigating you know what I've been working on and like oh what I wrote and I felt so proud about like it was very on the surface it wasn't digging into that stuff so I do know now after listening to you I have to go back into the end of my my final scenes and find that <clears throat> mm-hmm. <clears throat> that yeah that um that that yeah so just really inspiring to um hear that, and then that's really what it is. And I do like yeah. your uh, definition of being an ambulance chaser because it feels like <laughs> that, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. ooh, the sirens, What? where are we going? Right? The like, sirens
0: are inside. There it me. is,
1: that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah like it's we're coming.
0: Experiencing. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Mike, another question we had was about um, the big topics that Pixar takes on, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Souls yeah. and uh, the emotions inside of you and, you know, and, and we had many multiple questions about how do you balance that big idea which is you know tricky to uh, to create a story around successfully mm-hmm. right that you're really doing a reach right where right. Pixar is really reaching towards something and yet they still have to create a coherent simple not simplistic set, uh story that's mm-hmm. also fun and balancing yeah. the kind of Lava with the brightness of the of the fun, you know, like right. big idea. With you have still have to tell a story. the right. Lava with the brightness. And what was your what's your experience at Pixar in making that balance?
2: Well, I think for me it goes back to, and probably for you both as well, just Pixar's iterative pro, iterative process gets you there. You know, I, I don't. In thinking back on some of the reels that we made of Soul, like some were very much story. Uh, or or very much kind of, they they didn't have that big thematic idea or you couldn't see it. It, Maybe it was there and simmering and then you go into the brain trust and hopefully they start picking that out and telling you how to make, how to elevate that. But I really do believe that Pixar's, you know multi-year iterative process is the key to maybe finding that idea. Because I think if anybody had, you know um, years to shoot a movie if you had four or five years to shoot a live-action movie, just and continue to dump money into reshoots after reshoots after reshoots with the same actors and all that, you might get there. You know, you might make a pretty good movie. I mean, Boyhood was pretty good. You know, so the I I, I feel like the, that's Pixar's great. Um, uh, Pixar's great talent is its discipline, but also its great talent is that it just can it will invest the time in it. And I think if you spend that much time in it, and as long as you have with the director that um, that strong north star, that strong like gut feeling um, I feel like it will come out you know may, i, I uh, um I'm trying to think like how did we feel where did we feel like we had both of those things with soul like when did it finally hit it really finally like linked to me when I saw it animated mm-hmm. you know, but we had found it before that, but I can't I couldn't tell you the time we found it I think I could I could probably surgically tell you well we found this thing that helps and we found this thing that helps in screening three and this thing that helped in screening four and then we dumped this in screening five and um it's that alchemy that years years long alchemy i think that brings it out
0: well and i think for writers who are listening or like well i'm not at pixar like how do i apply that to my work is that sometimes these things do need to brine and mm-hmm. you, and, and what I hear you saying is that the, the one you're getting a lot of feedback, right? It, mm-hmm. You're It's not just brining on your own in your own little pot and you're not getting any outside looks on it or questions yeah. about it, suggestions about it, that that is a huge part of the process, right? Just the yeah. amount of information coming in at you. Mm-hmm. And then there is the personal brining when you go back in the room and now that North star has to come back, right? And that North Star can be a question. It can be a gut feeling. I love that you called it a gut feeling. You may not be able to articulate it, but you're always trying to hold on to that. Though so yeah. I, you know, it picks our, sometimes the gut feeling ended up having something underneath it, right? Yeah. But that's yeah. part of the, the the notes process that, you know, like we do want to write these scripts and be like, I mean, both Lori and I had this experience this week. Well, I, it's done, isn't it? <laughs> what do you mean it's not done? What do yeah. you mean I have to rewrite this again? What do you mean I have to you know, put more layers into the character, or rewrite the ending, but that is Pixar. It is Mm -hmm. so over and over, right? Like I hear you saying that this process of doing it over and over and over and over is how you get it so good. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is applicable to all writing, I think.
2: Yeah, I think that's also a good point though. It's it's also about sitting down and letting it sink and letting it marinate. You know, there's this wonderful concept about dreams and how dreams are really an organizational tool for your for your mind in that like uh, your head, your you and your mind are kind of flagging emotional things throughout the day. And sometimes you're putting like extra stickies on different emotional moments. And that when you go to sleep, logic is turned off. And all of these different feelings then merge into uh, and, and are organized in your head in the form of dreams. And while we awake, um, they found that um, when you while you're not you're not able to really sometimes remember your dreams your mind is suddenly kind of reorganized a little bit sometimes around these emotional concepts and so like I found like well you know that's all I deal with all day is emotional shit <laughs> and so maybe I've and it, this is also just something that uh, that I will encourage everybody who is just starting off to write, because it took me forever to figure it out is that if you're feeling like if, if it's the end of the day of writing, but yet you feel like you have to just sit there and keep writing, just don't like stop, go sleep, like like and approach it for, uh, with um, approach it the next morning with a with kind of an empty slate, and also kind of be open to the idea that maybe your mind, in its kind of unconscious way, has maybe figured out some of the stuff that you're stuck on. You know, I found like remarkably like a good night's sleep is so helpful in untying that story knot that I got myself in the day before, you know?
1: It's really good advice. So tell us your secrets to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but I, just, I
2: and It's right. Yeah.
1: I have a question. No, but I'm,
2: I'm with, I'm with you. Like I, it's hard, so hard for me to get to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And when I wake up, I wake up for four hours. Three yes.
1: Yeah. Um, I have a question about, you know, I, I remember what it's like at Pixar and the notes process and how emotional it can be and how, how do you, how are you managing that? Like we talked about getting notes and how that can make you feel. And, and at Pixar, you're not often allowed the luxury of that freak out, right? You have to sort of go home or go back in an hour and rewrite pages, right? Right. So, because, you know, you got to keep working. How do you, I don't know if you, I don't know, I'm sure you thought about this, but like, how do you uh, manage that? Like, I think a lot of TV writers have to do this. A lot of uh, mm-hmm. film writers have to do this when they have producers and production and notes. Like, what are right. your tricks to keep going even when you want to throw your desk across the room?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 my first answer is I don't. My first answer is if you're going to get the kind of pile of notes that you get in some of these brain trust meetings, the best thing to do is not to go right because you're dealing with too much. I know I am. I'm dealing with anger, I'm dealing with I'm I'm dealing with doubt about myself. Uh, I'm dealing with um I'm dealing with trying to pu- trying to puzzle maybe 20 to 30 different m- moments that maybe the audience was conf- were, was confused by that maybe I can figure out with a line of dialogue like there's so much going on in my head. Um Pete like famously just needs to go walk. He just needs to he needs to be by himself. And I remember, like, after a particularly bad screening, um, you know, I sat down with him in Maine and um, I realized, oh, yeah, I, I don't need to sit down. Like, he kind of needs this time. Like, he, I, I felt um, protective, like, as the, as his writer to come and come at him and say, like, hey, it'll be okay. We're going to figure it out. Don't worry about that. And I did that, you know. But then after that, I kind of needed, he, he needed to be on his own. And so did I. Um, and again, it's remarkable what I feel like a night of sleep does. Because if there's any type of organization that I need my brain to do, it's after a brain trust session, where I'm just where where everything is suddenly really hot. And everything is very emotional. And the next morning, in the you know new dawn, I think things look clear clearer. You know, what's what's the song? There's a song there. I'm sure, there's a song. How-
1: How do you, um, how do you manage it? Like in the brain trust, like I've been in those, right? It's Mm -hmm. a lot, it's a lot, right? It's a lot Mm -hmm. of really smart people who are passionate about your project and they're throwing a lot around all at the same time. And I recently had an experience like this where I had an incredible group of writers who'd read my script and were giving me feedback. And I think I disassociated during the the note session. I was Mm -hmm. unable to engage because mm-hmm. I was so overwhelmed. Um, and, you know, so this is something I'm working on and I'm really interested in how other writers manage this. How do you stay present when you like, and I know it's about separating your work from your identity, right? The work is not me. I am not the mm-hmm. work, but it's also tied together. I mean, how do you stay present in those moments? Mm-hmm. So you can actually hear it and engage, right? Defend yep. certain things or brainstorm even a little bit.
2: hmm Well, I think the first, the first thing that helps me is realizing I'm not alone in it. Sometimes I think we can get caught up in the fact that we are the ones who have to figure these, figure this stuff out. And that's not true. You're, you're in it with the director. You're in it with maybe the co-writer who happens to be next to you, the producer, head of story, story department. Um, That helps me a lot. Uh, I think I've also just, I, I would say the first few brain trusts were hard for me. I didn't know how to navigate those. But now that I kind of know what to expect, they're a little bit easier, you know, but not, not incredibly easy. I, they, the brain trusts that really work, and this is probably a little bit to the side of the question, but the brain trust that really work for me, we talk, I talked about this with Meg last night, is where if I'm given a note about something, I would like a solution. And if I'm at Pixar with all of these great brains, I kind of expect it. And if I don't get a solution, if I, if somebody's just saying like, I don't like that, like there is, I'm automatically defensive. You know, I'm automatically on my heels a little bit and I'm not in a place to receive that note. But if you tell me something that you, that you, um, had trouble with, and then you have an idea, like, as you were saying last night, Meg, even if it's a bad idea, like that's something that we can talk about. Right. Then we can have a conversation. Um, and I will say like most of the time the brain trusts are really good at that. Sometimes they're not. And sometimes they're both sometimes in the beginning, you get a lot of great and sometimes in the end, like you just, people are just listing. I didn't like this. I did not like this. I did not like this. Um, they're exhausting. It's a marathon. Um, and I think as a writer,
0: I, if you're take one thing that I a trick, I started to do in those brain trusts, which I don't know if it's a good idea in terms of a giant brain trust, cause your head is down. I just started taking notes. And somehow Mm -hmm. the writing of the notes keeps me present because the pen on the paper the words but it is very Mm -hmm. normal to dissociate during that pile on or getting not notes it's not even a pile on just getting a lot of notes coming at you at the same time which is why it should always be recorded because you're going to hear different things i mean this note session i just did with jonathan he literally heard different things than i did right so it's always recorded that it's very normal to dissociate, but I hear you Lauren that you have these big brains in front of you and you want to, mm-hmm. so you can start asking questions. Like if you mm-hmm. can get in your body enough to say, wow, that's really interesting. That triggered me. I don't know why. Can you talk a little bit more about it just to get mm-hmm. them talking more and st- you asking questions and then something might come up that you can grab onto like, mm-hmm. and hold on to that. Um, my favorite part of the brain trust, I agree Mike was at the end when they would just start throwing out ideas. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, oh, yeah. this is the fun part. That would always yeah. be a nice way to end it. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: To, get it to, to get it to one of those is great. I always thought Angus McLean also has a great way in brain trust where he really tries to understand what you're trying to say. Like some of these brain trusts, you'll hear a note and or a solution, solution and it's kind of silence. Angus always kind of leans toward it and go like, tell me about that. Like he's really trying to understand it. There's this one famous story Um, not having to do with Angus, but in a brain trust uh, of one of the writers. Also, also, it takes a particular kind of writer, I think, to work at Pixar. Um, Some writers don't work out. Some writers um, just kind of can't handle that level of collaboration, you know, and that intensity. And um, there was one writer who had had been um, working uh, really hard on this project, went into the brain trust, started to get the notes, and he had his notebook open started to get the notes he heard the tenor of the notes and he just closed the notebook and that was the kind of everybody so I saw it I definitely saw it and I said to myself like he's done he's he knows his limit and he's and he's reached it and um um so I just say it's also it's 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 a tool I feel like I have um uh i've been able to kind of work with for a while like i i I know what i'm getting into to a certain regard but yeah it's just not for everybody when Uh, i
0: was on when i was on the good dinosaur i had to jump off to go back to inside out for something and so they brought in this very very big famous writer to just do kind of like a quick they do these like quick dialogue polishes or mm -hmm. like what else can you bring like where's the sparkle put some sparkle dust on this big famous Mm -hmm. writer And I was lucky enough to meet him and I had no problem with that because hey, this is a big collaborative thing, right? And he talked to me and he goes, so I've been here now for three days and I just want to say, um, you must be a very generous person. You're just a very (laughs) generous writer, aren't you? Like, you're just a different kind of writer than me. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't, it was like, he was so impressed. Like, it was just like, how do you do this? Like, this isn't like, because of that churn that's constantly going on and you do get used to it, I think a little bit, but. Before we go, because I know where it's one o'clock, but I do want to ask our question on doubt that because it's such a great question came in and I don't mm-hmm. want to miss it. And there were so many other great questions on the website. I will go in and answer some for you guys who we didn't get a chance to answer them. Mike, if you have any desire, you can go on the Facebook page and answer some of the questions. Sure. But um, so John asked, how do you know which doubts to engage as serious story questions? So this is doubts about, your, about the story itself. And mm-hmm. which to set aside as those sabotaging kind of mental tricks that happen. So you have a wow. doubt about your story and, and is that a, something to listen to or no? that you're just sabotaging yourself?
2: That is a great question. I'm trying to figure out how I deal with it. I, I mean, what, what I feel sometimes is that um, the doubtful questions won't go away if they're important. I think particularly if you've just been writing for a long time, or writing the same thing for a long time, that if you get that doubtful question um, over and over again as you're writing, that you can't ignore it anymore. It needs to be addressed in some way. Um, Sometimes I will get doubtful questions that I feel like I can punt, um, uh, and that's kind of a case by case basis for me. But I will say like the, the recurring doubt question um, is something I will uh, inevitably go get another opinion on. Um, usually it's, uh, you know, a close friend, a close colleague. I'll just say like, look, I'm feeling this. Can you look at it? Um, am I crazy? I don't think I am, but can you look at it? And maybe we can bat some ideas back and forth, you know? I think Pixar has kind of installed this instilled this in me that if there's a problem that I can't figure out, like go go out your office and get some help, you know? or just sit with the director in front of a whiteboard and start talking, you know? I think like it, Pete loved arcs. He loved, um, you know, he loved watching the story on some kind of, on a graph. And so whenever I was, had an issue with something, I would bring him into my office. I'd open up a, a dry erase marker and I would just start drawing and just start putting words on it. And, and I would get to that issue or where I'm feeling I'm not, where I'm feeling kind of doubtful about it. And to work it out with him, um, we always found a solution and it might not have been um, the, the solution we, that ended up in the movie, but it was a solution at least that kind of kept it going. And so maybe there's something in that, like if if there is somebody that you feel kind of connected with about your work, maybe it's just about finding a solution to get you over that hump. And or, or, and, and maybe it's not like the thing that's going to sand it down, but at least it's you're going to get over it a little bit. Um, I, I mean, that, that was, yeah. You
0: know. I also think that sometimes you can recognize, and it can be hard, but if you can recognize, is the doubt about yourself mm-hmm. and your writing ability mm-hmm. and the value of yourself as a writer, that's yeah. probably a little self sabotage coming in, right? Uh, yeah. Versus yeah. doubt about this antagonist isn't working. Why? Why? What is, mm-hmm. is it the right antagonist? Like, that's story yeah. stuff, right? That's right. asking questions about the story, right? Um, and we wrestle with both all the time. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I, I I have those other doubts come up and I realize, oh no, this is, I'm just, this is fear coming right. in more than, than a doubt.
2: I mean, I, when I was first starting out um, and I was writing these screenplays and trying to get them out there, trying to get them read. I mean, that was just, there was just an ocean of doubt out there about whether I could do it or not. But I feel like I'm lucky in that I was able to find the people that really liked the stuff I was trying to say. Like um, my wife, Maya, you know, who has been my best friend for most of my life now, um, is the first person to help me prop up my work. Um, Like I remember as a journalist, just trying to send it anywhere, I sent it to a producer named Diana Williams. Um, And Diana Williams like called me back and said like, you know what, this is really good. I'd never heard. I had, hadn't talked to Diana Williams, but she reached out and called, and I and so I go. You know what? I got to keep that person close. I got to keep that person close. I'm going to keep certainly Maya close. I'm going to keep all these other people close, so that I can also um, just remind myself that I don't suck. <laughs> I can that that having a um, having a team that is kind of behind you and behind what you want to have to say, like. I need that, you know? And that certainly helped in my first years. And the thing is like, you're not gonna write things that are gonna please everybody, you're just not. And sometimes like people just don't get it. Like, I think there's one review of uh, of Soul on um, Rotten Tomatoes of somebody who just did not get it. <laughs> and I read that review and I go like, there's nothing I could redo about Soul to convince that guy, nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's just the way it is. So kind of knowing that helps a great deal too. Well,
0: yeah. and you talked about emerging when you were an emerging writer um, mm-hmm. moving from journalism. And we have two questions about that. Um, Lauren, do you wanna read that fun question? From Ellie? Yeah.
1: So Ellie is graduating in June and she mm-hmm. is sure she wants to write. She loves it. She feels she has a lot of stories to tell, but there's always that doubt, mm-hmm. um, especially right now with the world. <laughs> she says mm-hmm. in shambles and unstable, which I totally relate to. And the old, will I be good enough question? She asks, what was your moment of truth? And when you realized you wanted to be, when you realized you wanted to be a writer, was it something you always knew? And what inspires you and pushes you and continues to motivate you?
2: uh i think the first time i felt like i could really be a writer was when i had um cobbled together this um cobbled together the script i knew nothing about structure knew nothing about anything and i and i um i gave it to maya um and maya is uh the kind of person who cannot lie she cannot and if she tries you can see right through it she's just she's kind of she's wonderful that way so she read it and she came to the other room and she goes like, this is good. And it, it was something about just the words like, this is good that um, I remember that moment to this very day. And so um, all of the doubt like, on, uh, that, that I would receive following that, which was rejection after rejection after rejection, I still was able to kind of let that one piece of uh, uh, of positivity kind of rise to the, it, it took me back to the surface, you know? And, um and I kind of like I said before I kind of wanted to find more people then right um, and the the when I felt like I could keep it going um, I wrote a script called uh, Miller that is based a bit on my father and because um, my father had a very colorful life and uh, I wrote it and I um, I got. I was. Uh, I had a producer. This and and uh, who was a friend of mine, and he said we just got to get some cast. So let's send it. Who do you feel like would play the the role of your father well? And I go like I think Chris Cooper would play it great. And so we found it. We found this kind of really uh, uh, eager young a young casting agent. He was able to get it to Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper read it and called me and said like Oh my god! And he was over the moon. And I was like I felt like I can maybe do this, I can maybe do this. So there was the the making of Miller. And the funny thing is Miller wasn't made. Miller ultimately failed we couldn't get it together. But there was it, it, this, the snowball started to roll with Miller enough that I felt like, oh my gosh this might actually get made. And while it ended up kind of not getting made by that point I'd gotten more work based on the script of Miller um, that I, certainly mourned the project, but I was able to kind of keep going with it. So um, I think it was, I think it was convincing perfect strangers. Um, Not your mom, not your sister, you know, it's convincing Maya Churi, who is um, one of the most beautifully honest people I have ever met in my life that something works, uh, really gave me um, that kind of that fortitude that I needed because it's all rejection. It's 90% rejection, it is. Um, and so you kind of have to pick and choose like what you, what's gonna lift you up. And I just, I just decided, well, I love Maya, she's great. Um, I, we're in love and she's gonna be, you know, the thing that lifts me up.
0: Oh, I love that. Mike, okay. amazing. Thank you so much
2: for coming on oh, sure. the
0: show. We are so lucky that everything you talked about today was so amazing.
2: This is a fantastic show. It is such a, um, it is such a gift to to the community, to be honest, because I, the way that you both talk about screenwriting and how it is so emotional for you, is kind of the great, um, the great hook. (laughs) You know, it's like the great gift of this, of this podcast, because like, I'll listen to it and I'll go like, yep, I feel that way too. I feel that way today too, you know.
0: It awesome. is fun so, that the pro writers are listening because it's. It doesn't matter if you're emerging pro; you've done it for thirty years. You've been graduating yeah. college. We're all sitting in the same boat, so uh, we just want everyone to know uh, that they're not alone.
1: Yes. Um, um, but before we go, we have a special announcement um, for all our listeners and Facebook group members. Uh, story and script consultant uh, Pat Verducci. Uh, she's amazing, um, is offering a 10% discount for all the screenwriting life listeners. And you can check out her website at patverducci.com or email her at pat at patverducci.com and mention that you're a connection or a fan of the show and uh, she'll give you a little discount. And she is uh, really smart and really amazing to work with.
0: And it's V-E-R-D-U-C-C-I in case anybody like me can't spell. Um, And we don't normally endorse people, but we've had people asking us to read their scripts or that they need help. And so we're kind of responding to that by saying we can't. um, Not that we don't want to, we just don't have the time. But Pat is who we go to um, as a a professional consultant. So we wanted to share her with you guys um, and she's awesome. So just to answer some questions about that that came on the on the feed and again mike mike jones Woo, thank you thank so you much for me, oh, thank this you thanks, mike. So, this is great so excited for soul coming out christmas day disney plus and um uh thanks mike
2: oh good yeah good to be here thanks for tuning in to the screenwriting life we love our community and we want to get to know you even better Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash the screenwriting life or email us at the screenwriting life at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.